I don't know how this recording thing is going to work because I genuinely tend to walk away from the mic. So there may be dead spots and everything in there. But th- we're, we're going to work with this, though. Hi, uh, again, he's, my name's Rick. I guess we'd pull the blind down, but it already is. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, yeah, my name is Rick Jones. And Jay approached me to talk about this. Uh, and it's when your child doubts the faith. It's not when they doubt their salvation, right? It's when they doubt the faith. We live in a time where, you know, deconstruction, deconversion, I mean, these are popular words. And man, our youth and our, our college students are going through this all the time, or at least they're faced with it, or they know somebody that is moving through this whole idea. And so this is what we want to talk about tonight is when your child doubts the faith. Again, not their salvation, but when they are doubting the faith. Now, the documents that you have in front of you, it's what's on the PowerPoint slide is what's on your document. So if it's up there, you've got it in front of you. If I say anything outside of that, then, and you want to write it down, you need to write it down. And I can tell you the last quote that we're going to look at on this whole thing, on the last slide, it's not on that piece of paper because I changed it at the end. And uh, so I apologize about that, but we'll leave it up there for long enough for you to go through that. Uh, So like I said, I mean, I love this verse right here. It's one I draw upon a lot. Uh, as I'm just kind of walking through the world, and I, I teach college students on Sunday morning, uh, I do an apologetics thing with Kevin and a few other people on Sunday nights once a month with high school students. And so this is, this is exciting. And again, we use this verse in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. And it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations in every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And there's times I do that well, and there's times I don't do that well. But the Lord is always faithful, and He's always kind, and He's always loving to remind me of that. And then when I don't listen to the Lord, He sends my wife and she reminds me of that again also. So, But it all works well, and so we're going to start this process, and... Let me go. And this is not working, so we'll just go this way. There we go. We'll have to work through this. So doubt. Hey, doubt is a universal experience. Everybody goes through doubts. And we go through stages in our life where doubting something. Okay, and that's not, that's, man, that's a common occurrence that happens. It happens with Christians. It happens with atheists alike. Again, you know, God's given me the opportunity to, man, I've, I've spoken with atheists before, Muslims, agnostics. Everybody goes through doubts. The question is, is how are we going to handle those doubts? Who do we turn to to get answers to those doubts? That's what becomes critical for us as we work through this process. Jay had mentioned this idea of this crisis of belief. Uh, this is a, I don't know who coined it. I got it from Henry Blackaby years ago. And it's sometimes, you know, when we go through a crisis of belief, that is a time when we sometimes we have our greatest spiritual growth comes from that crisis of belief. Or it could be the greatest spiritual harm that happens to us when we go through those moments of crisis of belief. They're normal, they're natural, they happen to just about everybody. Doubt is not necessarily sin. It is not necessarily sin. And it's interesting, I tell this story quite a bit to the students that I work with, and that is, you know, I've been doing apologetics and worldviews for about 20 years now, and it really started just 20 years or so ago, uh, our youngest son, he was, 
he wouldn't go to bed at night. He was probably nine, 10 years old. I know that's never happened to you. And so Anna and I would alternate back and forth and we would go and, and line the bed with him in the bedroom until they'd go to sleep or till, or till I fell asleep. And then, but we'd always listen to Adventures in Odyssey. I don't know if you're familiar with that, right? So we'd listen to Adventures in Odyssey and, and uh, Eugene Melsner, right? He's this super smart guy and and he's having his, his crisis of belief. He'd, he'd become a believer. And he, I, these weren't his exact words, but what he said was is talking about the Bible, God's word. He says, what if it's not true? And that question haunted me. I could not get away from that. What if the Bible is not true? I mean, I think about it today and, and, and it, it just makes me nervous. But the one thing I did was I said, God, what if your word's not true? I went to the right place. I went to the right place to find out. Man, God spoke to me as clear as, as anybody who's speaking to me. And he said, ask me any question. Ask me any question. I was a Sunday school teacher here at Bellevue doing young marriage at the time. So I was probably a Christian five, six, seven years. And I just started asking questions. No, all apologetic questions, and God would answer them. And sometimes a couple days would go by, and it would be on the radio program, or somebody would give me a book to read, or I'd just hear you know, something else, and God would say, I answered your question. And sometimes it would be days, sometimes it would be weeks. He'd answer the question, and then he would remind me, you asked that, do you remember? Yeah. I asked so many questions, and God answered so many questions that I quit asking questions. I quit asking questions because I knew whatever the need was, God was going to answer it when I needed it. I knew that, and I found God to be faithful in that area. And that's literally what got me on this road over 20 years to studying apologetics and worldviews. That was the moment. That was my crisis of belief where I had doubts. Is your word really true? And I found it to be true. Uh, so doubt is not necessarily a sin. This is, you're going to see this quote several times throughout, this, throughout tonight. Unanswered challenges or questions to the Christian faith can lead to doubting the faith, which can lead to rejecting the faith. Which can lead to rejecting the faith. Now, we'll keep going. Like I said, you know, I was, I was telling, you know, there's a tale of two students. Again, I started teaching here. I moved into the middle school ranks. Uh, when my kids were in the middle school, and that's kind of how a lot of us get involved in that whole process. And I did, I did middle school for like eight or nine or 50 years. I can't remember. It was just, man, it was just one of those dark times in my life. So if you're in middle school, God, God bless you. God bless you for all of that. But yeah, right there. And so, uh, and then I, you know, and I moved up into the high school ranks. And, and there was just this group of students that I had as middle schoolers. And then they showed up in my class as, as high schoolers. And then they showed up in, in my class as college students. And this one student said, he said, you know, it's amazing. He said, I have found that students have been under your teaching. Either they become dogmatic atheists or they're just on fire for Christ. They get the same teaching. They hear the same thing. So why is it that some move into atheism and others just got a rock-solid hold on Jesus. You know, that's almost a mystery. But ultimately, it comes down to, you know this, right? All of your, they have free will. You can do everything right, 
and they have a free will. You could do everything wrong, they still have a free will, right? Adam and Eve were God's children. Everything, was, you know he did it right, right? God did it right, yet they had a free will. Perfect environment, perfect father, and they chose to rebel. So we always have to remember that, that man, don't take burdens onto yourself that God doesn't intend for you to take onto yourself, okay? So like I said, unanswered questions, unanswered challenges. Excuse me, so what is a biblical worldview? A worldview, it's a lens by which we see everything that we see and we process it through that lens, right? And so a biblical worldview says, man, I see gender dysphoria taking place with some of my students. Transgenderism, homosexuality, or whatever it is, I see that taking place. So I process that through the lens of biblical scripture, right? And so if I got rose-colored glasses on, I see everything that's rose-tinted. And there's lots of, there's postmodernism, there's Marxism, there's secular world, uh, secularism, there's lots of worldviews. Typically, nobody just has one worldview. We usually have other worldviews that will bleed into our lives. And if we know that, then we recognize that and we know what the worldviews are. So what is a biblical worldview? It's you, you believe the following. Absolute or objective moral truth exists. And what we're talking about when we say objective truth, it's, it's true for all people, all places, and all times. Regardless of where you live, when you live, or who you are, it's true for you. Two plus three is five. It doesn't make a difference whether you're in China or America 500 years ago or 500 years in the future. That's true. And it's true for everybody, right? And so we live in a time, you may not have heard this, and it's like, well, that's your truth, and I have my truth. No. There's the truth, and we're either going to align our lives with that truth or not. That's what exists. Now, there are things that are relative, but we shouldn't confuse objective truth with that. The Bible's totally accurate in all the principles it teaches. Satan is a real being. He's not merely symbolic. A person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or do good. Right, a phrase you hear today is, uh, be better, do better. Be better, do better. Jesus lived a sinless life on earth. Jesus is the only way to heaven. God is all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. Those are foundational ideas of a biblical worldview. There's more that can be encapsulated into that, but those are foundational ideas. And you're like, well, what if I don't believe all of those things? Well, then that means some of that from a secular worldview, a postmodern worldview, something else has creeped into your worldview. That's what that means. Again, we don't all have a straight up pure worldview, but we need to be anchored in, in what this is. If we're followers of Christ, this needs to be our worldview. We need to work towards that, and we certainly want our children to work towards that, right? Because if our kids don't have a, a biblical worldview, most of the time, right, it's because we struggle with our worldview. And you may not even know the worldview even exists. But you can grow them and you can raise them with a biblical worldview, but other things will still move into their lives also. All right, some statistics. This comes from uh, George Barna and the Cultural Research Center. 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. 
That's all Americans, 6%. 2% of millennials have a biblical worldview. Haven't seen the research later on Gen Z, which is probably where most of your kids are at. It's going to be less than 2%. It's going to be less than 2%. 21% of those who attend an evangelical Protestant church have a biblical worldview. That's in churches that are teaching and preaching God's word. Where Jesus Christ is Lord, he's the only way to heaven, right? You've got all those, those tenets from a biblical worldview are being taught. 21% of people that attend those churches has a biblical worldview. Only 21%. 88% of Americans have a syncretistic worldview. In other words, they're blending other worldviews into their, into their own worldview. They've got this melting pot of worldviews. 88% of Americans have that. 65% of Americans self-identify as Christians. 12 years ago, that was 77%. Now, the key is, is they self-identify as Christians. In other words, am I a Christian? I am a Christian. Why? Well, you know what? My mom and dad went to church. Me, mom, papa went to this church, and so I go to this church, so I'm a Christian. It could be that to the point where I repented of my sins, I placed my trust in Jesus Christ, and I know I'm going to heaven because he's paid my debt. It could be that, that could be your spectrum. These are people that self-identify as Christians. It doesn't mean that they are, but they self-identify as Christians. 40% of millennials identify as atheists, agnostic, nuns, or don'ts. Right? An agnostic is somebody, I'm not sure that God really exists, but if he does, I don't think we can know him. That would be an agnostic. Right? A nun is somebody, they may be spiritual but they don't identify with any denomination or really even any church. They could be Christian, but for the most part, they've turned away from the institutionalized church. And then the don'ts, they don't know anything, they don't care about anything, and they just don't care that they don't care. Right? And that's a growing portion of the population. A Christian worldview, man, if a truly Christian or biblical worldview is so rare that if there was an animal, they would be put on the endangered species list. It is so rare to have a truly biblical worldview. And we struggle even within the, within the body of Christ. Questions so far? Yeah, yeah. And that was the good part, right? <laughs> okay, we're going to move on. Reasons for doubt. Why do people doubt? Oh, do we have a question? I'm sorry. Well, it probably depends on where you're at, but here in the culture that we live in today, very postmodern, right, which a postmodern worldview is going to, they don't believe in any grand story. So anybody that sits there, Christianity, that's a meta narrative. We, this is our story. They, re, they reject all of that. Even within science, they'll reject, you know, certain aspects of that. So you got postmodernism. Um, they would, that's where you would get that phrase, well, you have your truth and I'll have my truth. So you, you would get that. Uh, secularism, which is usually bound by, it's, it's rooted in evolution. That's the foundation for secularism. It's going to be that. Marxism, believe it or not, really shows up a lot. Most of that is on our college campuses, though, is, is where you'll find a lot. Of, yeah, I think it's somewhere like 36% of your college professors are 
Marxist ideology. Postmodern is huge on our campuses. Also, secularism would also be. But it would probably be those, and that you see that blending. You could get some new age in there also, but it, it depends on where your child's at and where they're getting their information from. Good question. All right, reasons for doubt. Doubt comes from a lack of foundational knowledge. Doubt comes back from a lack of a foundational knowledge, right? This can come from a poor understanding of who God is. In other words, his character come from a poor understanding of the Bible. Right? A wrong view of God and his word will cause one to have a wrong view of reality. This is not on your paper. It's a quote, A.W. Tozier. Uh, he had said, what you think about God is the most important thing that you can think. What you think about God is the most important thing that you can think. It affects everything in your life. So if I'm an atheist and I don't believe that God exists, that's something that I think about God, and that will paint everything else in my life. What we think about God matters. And so it's important that we understand who God is according to what God reveals to us, not what my emotions or ideas will lead me to. Number two, misunderstanding of what belief or faith is. The world says our faith is a blind faith. In other words, it's believing something despite the evidence against it. Despite the evidence against it. Right? So the world would sit there and say there's all this evidence against um, Christianity, but yet you still believe that. Um, biblical faith doesn't ask us to trust without evidence, but it asks us to believe because of the evidence. Right? We don't see in Scripture where Jesus just shows up and says, hey, trust me, and he walks away. He doesn't do it, right? He performs a miracle. He gets people's attention and it affirms, not only am I Jesus, I'm the Messiah. I am Christ. And so he performs the miracle. That's the evidence that he is who he says he is. Now, trust me, follow me, he says, right? So the Christian faith is a evidence faith. Not, it doesn't cover everything, but there's enough evidence that is reasonable that we would follow Christ we would follow Christ. Doubts come from conflicting commitments. Some people reject Christianity because they're committed to ideas or lifestyles that are antithetical to biblical morality. Thomas Nagel is a professor at New York University. He, this is his quote. He says, it isn't that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my beliefs. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. That's not a scientific position. That's not an intellectual position. That's a philosophical position. That is faith, is what that is. That is faith, and that's a blind faith. That's a blind faith. Number four, doubts come from practical atheism. Practical atheism is believing in the existence of God, but living as if he doesn't exist or doesn't care how we live. Man, our schools are loaded with, with people like that. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. I'm spiritual. Right? I'm spiritual. I just don't live like that, and I don't care to live like that, and I don't even think about living like that. Practical atheism. 
Number five, doubts come from sin's effect. People's moral positions come from their view of God, and sin distorts our view of God and ourselves. Undealt with sin leads to us leads us to justify our actions or to find fault with others, including God. It distorts our view of God, of God's purpose and design. And it's this whole idea of purpose and design, um, excuse me, is when we go back into Genesis 1, 26 and 27, or verses 26 and 27, chapter 1, it talks about, you know, it says God made man in his image, right? And then we continue to read on through that into chapter 2. We find out God created everything with design. Everything in the universe that's been created, God created, and it all has design to it. Nothing just happens out of random, chaotic mutations or, or, or disorder. Nothing does. And then everything has a purpose. Everything has a purpose. And when we look at our society today, I mean, the easy thing is, is why are we in the mess that we're in? We've gotten away from God's purpose and design. Marriage is defined. It can be anything you want it to be. It can be anything you want it to be. Man, we can't even figure out gender, right? We make up all of these new terms because what? We're pushing an agenda. We, it's an idea that we want to get out there, but we continue to move away from God's purpose and design. The further away we get from God's purpose and design, the more destructive and chaotic things are going to become, right? That will cheer you up, right? Because it's not going to get better. It's not going to get better. But you want to have influence where you have influence, Right? And that's with your kids, and that's with your family, and that's with those that you work with. Okay, Have your influence, God's purpose and design. Doubts come from distractions. We can concentrate on only so much. All right? It's just interesting. I was looking up some stuff today, uh, getting ready for this, and, you know, there was a time probably 300, 400 years ago we had, uh, you know, knowledge would double about every 300 years. In other words, the amount of knowledge, if it's this much, it would double in 300 years. And then it got down to the point where knowledge would double every 150 years. And then it would double every 75 years. And then the knowledge would double again every five years. And so I thought, I wonder where it's at now. Knowledge doubles every 13 months. Every 13 months. And one day, you take in more information through this than somebody would 300 years ago in a lifetime. In one day. Now, let's talk about culture a little bit. Right? Culture works the same way. And so when we say a culture turns over, what I mean by that is the values of one culture are no longer the values of, a, of the next culture. And again... It used to double, almost like that knowledge. So it, it would a culture would turn over every 300 years, and then it would turn over every 150 years, and then 75. And so today, the culture turns over about every 24 months. So you go from one age demographic to another, and they say, I can't connect with them. The culture has turned over and they no longer carry the values of the previous culture. Every 24 months, the culture turns over. 
right? Everything that we see is tied to identity. We, we can talk about the LBGTQAI plus and whatever else has been tagged onto it today, right? It's, it's not about sex. It's not about an act. It's about identity. It's about identity. And when your culture turns over every 24 months, you don't know what your identity is. And when you lose your identity, you lose your meaning and you lose your purpose, right? We are currently moving through, a, it's called the pandemic of despair. Since the whole uh, COVID thing, man, teen suicides have skyrocketed. It's a pandemic of despair. They don't know their identity because it keeps turning over. Gender confusion leads to that also. None of that's in your notes. That's free, by the way. Uh, the more we concentrate on worldly things, the less we concentrate on godly things. Where you put your focus, that's where you'll end up. What we think about most is what we will become like. Questions? All right, we're going to move on. Here. Types of doubt. Intellectual doubt. Right? Comes about by asking rational questions about God and not finding the answers. And not finding the answers. Again, a lot of atheists will come into this realm and this is what they'll say, I can't believe in God because of intellectual reasons. Okay. Let's talk about that. And I've had these conversations and they could be two hours, three hours long and I'll answer their questions. And so when I get to the end, I'll ask them, did I answer your questions? Yes. Were they at least reasonable? Yeah, they're reasonable. I don't accept them. That's okay. I don't need you to accept them. Are they reasonable? Yes. So this really isn't an intellectual issue, is it? Right? And then we get back to Scripture because it's a hard issue. We will hide behind intellectualism, right? We'll hide behind that and use that as an excuse for not trusting in God. It's never intellectualism. Once you cut through all of that, it's a hard issue. It's called sin. And we don't. Just like Thomas Nagel, I don't want the world to be like that. I don't want there to be a God. It's a hard issue. Some questions. Evolution. Well, if there's evolution, we don't need God. If God, why evil? I mean, surely if God's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, he could, he could stop some of this evil. Why doesn't he? Why would God send good people to hell? And again, those all coming under that intellectual realm, there's a lot more questions than that. Those are just a few. Unanswered challenges to the Christian faith can lead to doubting the faith, which can lead to rejecting the faith. You know, you're in a good place. If your kids are coming to you and they're asking you these questions, like I said, Jay was talking about, man, thank God for that. Thank God that they're coming and asking the questions. Right? We just need to get them the answers. We need to get them the answers. You may not know them, and that's okay, but we need to find out what the answers are. Literally, just before I came up here, an email on my box, a mother saying, hey, can I bring my son to come and talk to you? She didn't know the answer, but she, she wants to find out, can he come and talk to you? Can you answer these questions? We don't have to know all the answers, but they do exist. And so we need to do our best when our children are asking and they're struggling with these. We need to find 
those answers. And they can be found, I, I promise you. They can be found. Do this. If it's intellectual doubt, write your doubts down. If your child's doing this, have, have, be specific. What are the doubts? What are the doubts? You may hear, I don't believe what you believe anymore. Okay, so what is it that I believe and what is it that you believe? I mean, you're giving me a generalized statement. I just don't believe what you believe. Well, what is it that you believe? Let's talk about that. Write your doubts down. Pray and ask God to reveal his truth and to break down the barrier of disbelief. Investigate or search out answers. Do the hard work of learning God's truth. There's emotional or psychological doubts. This causes one to question God's goodness. Again, there was a young lady, uh, she's a friend, my wife had discipled her, and she was at the University of Memphis, and she had several friends that were, you know, with the LGBTQ and, and atheist, and she goes, man, Mr. Rick, I, I've answered all the questions I can answer, and they still got more questions. Can I bring them to you? Bring them to the bookstore. Bring them to the bookstore. So she brings this young lady in, and we're just talking, and, you know, we didn't jump right away into it, but finally asked her, I said, oh, I understand you have some questions for me. I do. I said, what are they? She ripped off like eight or nine questions. And I'm like, wow, you know, it's, it's going to take me a little bit to answer those. What's your number one question that I can answer for you today? Just, just pick one. And she goes, why do good things happen or bad things happen to good people? And I said, I can answer that. But can I ask you a question first? And she goes, yeah. And I said, why is that your number one question? And so she told me a story. She was younger, her parents, they were very, very involved in the church. And then as sometimes they go astray and the pastor and other people turned against her parents. I don't know all the details, but man, just made life miserable for their family. And so the parents left the church. And then time went on, the father ended up divorcing the mother and leaving. And so for this young lady, She's, she's, why would God allow that to happen? And I thought, wow. That's not God. That's not God. That's sin in the church. That's sin. And she's been ripped up over that since man. It's emotional reasons why people turn away from God. Often tragedy or some pain or suffering can lead to doubt. And again, that's that story of that young lady. No, my friend is, is LBGTQIA+, and they're good people. How could God send them to hell? That's an emotional reason. That's an emotional reason. Emotions, if not dealt properly dealt with, can overpower reason and faith. Man, our emotions are powerful. So much so that you can speak truth into somebody's lives and they don't hear it. Emotionally, they're not there. Unresolved pain can lead to brokenness. If we're struggling with emotional or psychological doubts, do this. 
Take your pain to God. Take your pain to God. Connect with the Christian community. Don't pull away. Here's what happens, right? Well, then right now, I'll just take it. Right? When you send your kids off to college, when you send your kids off to college, the tendency is to drift away, not to get connected into a community of believers right away. It's important that you get them connected right away. When they go off to work, they go off to the military, to a trade school, we need them to stay connected to a community of believers. Don't drift away, don't pull away. Right? And so, man, again, I teach with, I work with the students, and there's some, I just tell them, you know, where they're at spiritually, it's like, you know what, you'd probably be better off staying in town. Not for intellectual reasons, but for spiritual reasons. Because you've got a community that you're involved in here at church. You've got that to rely upon and to step back into. Because let me tell you, when they leave, they leave. And you don't know what's going on. So your goal is try to get them connected as soon as possible into a good church, into a good... And again, most of our college campuses, they've got... I don't think they call it the Baptist Student Union. What do they call it, Jay? Okay, okay. So there's, there's lots of organizations that you can get them connected. I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to do that. Seek professional help if necessary. If it's to that point with the psychological aspect, it's okay to get help. We'd want to do that. The third is moral doubt. We question, we question God's moral law. And this almost runs into an area of arrogance where it's like, I know better than God. I know better than God. Right? And so we question God's moral law. We have personal sin, rebellion, or wrongly placed motivation. And again, these are things that we want to talk about. If our kids, and again, just because they're asking the tough questions doesn't mean that it's this, right? And that's why we want to work through those things. Why, what's your doubt? What are your questions? Because some people just have inquisitive minds and they're great. You know what? Because those are the ones that are, once they get it, they'll stand firm. Once they get it, they'll stand firm. Because they know, man, this is not a blind faith that I have. This is living. This is active. And there's answers to all of life's reality lies within God's word. Lies within God's word. Do this with moral doubt. Confess the sins, repent, and seek forgiveness. Doubt your doubt. Doubt your doubt. What's bringing that doubt to you? Is it something I'm listening to? Is it people that I'm hanging out with? Something that's going on with the family? Doubt your doubt. And again, I just love it, right? See, we work through this whole thing, uh, winning the battle in your mind. And that's that idea. When an idea pops into your head, is that from God or is that from the devil? Let's teach our kids and train our kids to ask those questions. Where is this coming from? God will not lead you astray. Satan will every time. Satan will every time. So questions on those three areas of doubt, intellectual, emotional, and moral. All right. Dealing with doubt. And hey, when are we doing the books? Is that at the end? Okay. 
Dealing with doubt. Be honest with yourself about the nature of truth. Be honest with yourself about the nature of truth. Truth is not based on feelings. Right? Facts don't care about your feelings. Facts care about facts. Right? It's not, uh, what was it? Dr. Rogers, I remember, had said one time, he said, your emotions are God-given. God gave you your emotions, and they're a good thing, but your emotions are the shallowest part of your being, and God does not do his deepest work in the shallowest part of your being. He does not do his deepest work in the shallowest part of your being. Because your emotions can change in a heartbeat. Truth does not change. Truth does not change. Truth is discovered. It's not determined. Again, this idea, well, you can have your truth and I can have my truth. No. There's the truth. Are we going to align with that? That's all there is. Be committed to pursuing truth wherever it leads. To wherever it leads. Again, I'll have people with a lot of questions, and, you know, they'll just hit right up front. It's just an avalanche of questions they bring them. And I'll ask them, if I answer every one of your questions, will you place your trust in Jesus Christ? It's almost always no. And so my first response is, well, then it's really not on intellectual grounds that you don't believe. And the second thing is, is why do we want to waste each other's time? If there's nothing I'm going to say that's going to get you to trust in Jesus, why are you asking your questions in the first place? Be committed to pursuing truth wherever it leads. Seek out people you trust to help you find the answers. Truth can prevail in the face of questions. Right? A lie cannot persist when confronted with the truth. We must always bring truth to bear against a lie. If Christianity is true, there's no need to fear what you find by investigating. And I spent a lot of years. God's faithful, and there's answers. There's answers to be had. There's answers to be shared. Search your doubts to find its roots. Again, that's kind of the three. Is it intellectual? Is it moral? Is it psychological or emotional? What's causing your doubts? Doubt your doubts. Again, there it is. Know the truth test for Christianity. It's the resurrection. Right? 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. If Christ has not been resurrected from the dead, then nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Christianity is no different than Islam, Mormonism, Buddhism, Taoism, or any of the other isms that are out there. You know, their founders are all dead and in the grave. But that's not the God we serve because the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. So that is the truth test for Christianity. Number five, make sure the things you're doubting are things that are actually the Bible teaches. Right? I can't believe the Bible because I won't hate my LBGTQ friends. I'm like, wow. You know, the Bible doesn't really teach that. Matter of fact, it, it says, love your neighbor. That's what it says. Okay? This is a sidebar. This is not in your notes. When people start talking about that, get definitions. Get definitions to the words they're using because oftentimes we'll turn around. We talk about love and we think we're talking on the same page. What's your definition of love? 
Because in our culture today, love is you have to affirm my lifestyle just as it is. That's love. Right? Biblical love, agape love says, man, I'm going to do what's best for you. I'm going to do what's best for you. Right? And that would be just like affirm me the way that I am. If my son's an alcoholic, oh, well, I need to love him. I'll just keep pouring alcohol into him. That's not love. That's hate. That's abuse. So the world has redefined what love is. Ask, what's your definition? You have to have the same terms and definitions before you can actually communicate. Or another one, because of the abuse that takes place in the church, I can't believe the Bible. The Bible condones slavery, therefore I can't trust the Bible. And these are just some common phrases that I hear, right? People often mischaracterize positions in the Bible as reasons for not trusting in Christ. They're just setting up a straw man argument the Bible doesn't teach that, but it makes an easy one for, to not believe. And so it just justifies my unbelief. Make sure that the Bible actually teaches or doesn't teach whatever the issue is. Six, separate your problems with the church or Christians from problems with Christianity. I'll let you in on deep secret. Not all people that are Christians really act like Christians all the time. Right? I know that's a surprise to you, but we don't. Some people doubt the faith because of the abuses that have taken place in the church or people connected to the church, that young lady that I was talking about. Christians don't always live according to the Bible. Don't judge a belief system by the actions of those in the belief system. You judge a belief system by the tenets of the belief. What does the belief system say? Are we aligned with that? Seven, be willing to put in the hard work to resolve your questions. We've talked about that. Don't go to the world to find your answers about Christianity. Proactively expose yourself or your child to faith challenges. When I got into this and I was just the whole apologetics realm, I would go to atheistic websites and I would just get in there and I would just start reading what they were posting and what they were saying. And I would get their questions and I think, man, that's a good question. I'm going to go get an answer. And I'd go find the answer. And then I'd go back to the website and I'd get more questions that they have. I'd go find the answer. And then when I was on social media, so I would start getting into their Facebook threads and stuff. And they're like, hey, who is this person? He's ruining the threat, and then I'd get blocked. Okay, so that wasn't real effective, but anyway, it was kind of neat to do it. Progressive Christianity, I'd do the same thing. I'd go to progressive Christians' websites, and what are they saying? What are their challenges? Can I, do I have an answer for that? And so I would literally expose myself to these questions. We need to do that for our children while they're at home. We need to do that for our children while they're at home. We were, what's today? Thursday, Wednesday. We were in here Sunday night with a bunch of high school students. And we put them through an exercise. There was a guy, uh, Bertrand Russell. He lived back in the early 1900s. He was a famous atheist at the time. And he wrote a book, Why I'm Not a Christian. And so I grabbed eight pages from his book. Right, I've got, So I copy this down. And there's all of these challenges that he puts forth to the Christian faith. And we had the students read it. 
and then we divided it up. They had to, what's the challenge? And then they had to respond to the challenge. They did great. They did great. But here's the thing is, you don't want your student getting these challenges for the first time when they walk onto their campus or they walk into a college classroom. You don't want that to be their first exposure to Jesus is just a myth. The Bible's just a fictional work. They need to get it here. They need to get it at home in a safe place where they can have those questions answered. Expose them early. Again, that's just what I was talking about. Expose them to the challenges of their faith. Nine, clearly identify your alternative to Christianity. Again, I was just talking to somebody in this. Yep, it's this person that she knows they're deconstructing. And she was telling me the story. She goes, what should I say? Ask them what they're deconstructing from. And then ask them what they're deconstructing to. They'll be able to answer what they're deconstructing from. Deconstructing to becomes a little more of a challenge. If I'm not going to believe in Christianity, what am I going to believe in? Atheism, agnosticism, Buddhism, progressive Christianity? What do they believe? Right? We'll drift into those kind of ideologies without even knowing what they believe. It's just not Christianity, so it's got to be good. Right? Which worldview offers the best explanation of reality? Christianity offers the best explanation for all of reality. All of reality. Pray and read the Bible. And those that are doubting, have them pray and read the Bible. God can handle our doubts. He's big enough for that. If Christianity is true, then we should not be afraid to ask challenging questions of it. We should not be afraid of that. People over the past 2,000 years have been trying to prove Christianity wrong. None have succeeded, and I'm convinced that they never will. And this quote is not on your paper. This is the last one. The antidote to indoctrination is to know the truth, expose your child to the lies that, we, that would deceive them, show them how to refute those lies, and prepare them with thinking skills necessary to continue resisting falsehoods. Create a safe place for your children to ask questions. If they come and they say, I just, I just don't think I'm a Christian anymore. Hey, don't panic. Don't panic. If they're coming and telling you that, that's a good place to be. James is saying that when he started this out. That is a good place to be if they're coming to you and they're sharing that with you. Don't freak out. Don't throw the Bible at them. Don't tell them, you know Jesus is real. We told you that. Find out what the doubts are and start walking them through that. And if, again, if you don't know, man, talk to Jay, talk to Steve, talk to the next-gen pastors, come to the bookstore. We can get you answers because they're there. Okay, questions, that's it. Jay? Thank you, Rick. Yeah. So I do want to open up for Q&A. I missed the first part, so I'm going to go back and listen to that. But two things that jumped out to me is what I want to do is take what Rick's been talking about. I want to bridge it to where you are. And so we want to kind of hear and work through that. But two things. If you were here the first week, remember we talked about our students and development and where they are. 
their their brain, the way it develops, the back part develops first. That's all emotions, and it works in overdrive because the front part's not developed, which is logic. And if you heard, you know, Rick talked about that. He said emotions are a big driver for that. Well, for a student, then emotions are going to overpower logic. So you're like, I have all the answers, and they still don't listen to me. That's normal, <laughs> all right. And that's the patience that Rick talked about of hey, walking through that. I think the other thing is is how many times we heard Rick say ask. How many times you heard him say define? And I just tell you, as a parent, I live there and I've worked <laughs> with you. They come with their question, and what do we give them as parents? Answers. Hey, I'm doubting God because of this. And what do we say? Oh, I know the answer. And eventually, they just stop asking the questions because they're like, they're just going to, they, they don't really want to know what I think. And so I think that is a big thing yeah. with what you're talking about. What else? comes up as you're listening to this. What questions do you have of Rick, or what questions do you have how you put this into practice? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yeah. Again, I mean, a lot of times it's, you want to try to find out what's trending. Again, this whole idea of deconstruction, I mean, that's just the whole hot idea of deconstructing. And so it's, well, let's just talk about that. What does that mean to deconstruct? And again, there's a lot of different definitions for that. That's why we ask, ask your child, what does that mean to you? Well, I just think the way we do church is not the way the Bible did church. Okay, well, let's look at that. that that's, that's fair enough. I think that's a, that's, that's a viable response that we need to go look at. And so uh, the other thing is, is, you know, we talked, she asked about, you know, what do we see out in our campuses or the worldviews? Well, you know, postmodernism is huge. Again, their idea, there is no absolute truth. Let's expose them to those ideas. Ask them what they think about that. Again, progressive Christianity is another big hot button. This, this is working right now. Generally, that's what you deconstruct to before you leave the faith altogether. But, yeah, just whatever the hot topics are, what are they talking about? Generally, what are the questions they're asking? That's going to get you to that. And then we go find out what are some questions that deal with that. Because they're going to know, how do you know the Bible's true? That's a big one. And you start walking through that. And I would add to that, expose them to the struggles you're having. I mean, let's be honest. We yeah. struggle with some things through Scripture. Are you comfortable to walk through that with your student? You know, there's some things I bet that Rick said tonight that you're like, I didn't really understand that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that you can go home tonight or tomorrow and say, hey, we talked about this in class. I'm working through it. What do you think? Well, now yeah. you're fostering an, a, 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 an atmosphere that it's okay to question. Yeah. It's not okay to leave and walk away, but yeah. it's okay to work through that. And where do we go find those answers and expose them to how you work through those doubts? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're referencing what Rick talked about. We had an apologetics class for high school students that was once a month this semester and trying it out, and it, it's gone really well. We had a great response from high school students. Yeah, we did. We, I mean, we did it once a month, I think for four months. Mm -hmm. Like I said, last night was the last night. Sunday night was the last night we did that. So, I mean, basically, everything that Bertrand Russell said was a problem with Christianity, we covered up in that chapter 9 except for one. And then the students went through it. Heaven was there with us and talking us through that. And, man, 
blown away by how well the students did. I mean, there's a lot of questions that Bertrand Russell brought up. College professor came up and said, you know, there's nothing new. There's nothing new. And one of the things we've learned is we have a lot of people always saying, hey, we want to help my kid defend the faith. I want to help my student defend the faith. And a lot of times, they, they, it's not defending the faith, it's knowing the faith. So it's always that balance that we're fighting going, hey, we're wanting to teach, but we want to teach these defense, you know, I guess, ideas as well. So we did that with high school, middle school, had two weeks where Kevin and Rick actually talked about, hey, what do you do when your student friends ask these questions? Um, and so we're going to incorporate that more and more. I'll be honest, I struggle at Bellevue of just adding more things to it, so it's always that balance. So. I just want to say that um, last year we covered the world for the first time and we came home, and um, there's a book called An Illustrated Book of Bad Arguments Made by Your Children, and it teaches them to recognize what a reasonable argument is. It, has, it doesn't have to be Christianity, it's actually the We're going to reference, we're going to give away two of I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It's a deep book. If you're, you're going to really, you know, kind of pony up and dig in on that one. But it talks a lot about that. A lot of their thing is just, it's learning how to reason, how to understand art. It's not so much um, even about what is truth. It's, it's, you don't really care what truth is. Your argument's faulty. And, it, and it, that does come from a Christian standpoint, yeah, for sure. So it deals with truth. But I think that understanding how to logically think through them. So could you go talk to them about this? Okay, we can, we can work with that. They'll listen to me, so we can stay out, we can go coffee, whatever, and we talk about it. And then I just check back in with the parents and go, listen, you're in trouble, or it's going to be okay. <laughs> well, let me go back to that real quick, just to say, because I 100% agree, and we, we know they're actually struggling with these things while their brain's not fully working anyway. But here's the thing, and this is what I'm saying, and I'm not saying to any one person, because I don't know how you handle things at home, but this is what I see. The reason they go to other adults is those adults don't tell them what to do. And what they associate is every time I go to mom or dad, they tell me what to do. They don't feel comfortable to ask the questions because you're going to think bad of them. They, mom, I'm struggling for not. You're instantly going to punish. You're going to, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. Okay, that was maybe a bad example. Uh, but, but 
there, there's not an atmosphere where it's okay to question. Because they know mom and dad's going to be disappointed in me because I got baptized when I was seven. If I say I don't think that was real, what are they going to think? And you've got to figure out how to keep that conversation open so that they will wrestle with these things with you so you don't one day check the search history and it's, do I believe in God? Why don't I believe in God? What is, you know, and you're going, why did you ask me these questions? And so a lot of times it is, I think they do want to hear what we want to say. I think sometimes we probably don't realize how much they want to hear. So, so I go back, we'll go back to that.
He spoke at our SOU 101, so if your students went to 101, they were able to be exposed to him. So. Other questions? We're done for this semester, so we'll try to do it in the fall. So if you don't get our next-gen emails, we do it every month, beginning of every month. You should all get one tomorrow. If your student's a member of a life group, you should get an email every month. That'll always give you the information. I'm shocked that Jotham didn't come home and tell you everything. So I, mean, I don't understand. No, it happens. And so, yeah, we do the emails once a month. So that's the primary way we communicate information. So if you're not getting those, let me know. Um, but, yeah, we'll start again. We'll probably, I haven't talked to Steve yet because we just finished, but we'll probably do it again in the fall. <laughs> Your baby swims with my baby and he doesn't communicate either. So I'm the next gym master, I don't know how this stuff's going on here. So yes. Struggles got like the extra pay, the extra price, and those are good. They're easy to read. There's a student edition one somewhere on one of the tables, yeah. and that's an easy one to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They, they do have, and they have those for kids, you know, for young teens. They've got those. They've there got, you go. Uh, yeah, right there. I think another one is Jay Warren Wallace. Yep. Uh, he's a crime scene detective. He's, he's an atheist. He treats it. But anyway, he's. he's uh, what is it? Hey, I want to give away a couple books and then we can ask questions until you've got to leave. We probably do to be a good neighbor. We'll dismiss at 745 for sure. But I want to make sure i got time to give away some books because these are good. Um, 
Rick, I will promote this one and you can promote the other one. Um, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Even for those kids who are all digital, you can sit down and walk through this with them at different times and just pieces. It's really good. It will challenge you, which is good. Um, and I think our students, they can walk through this as well. Um, and that's what I would say for a lot of this. I think when you raise the bar for your students, many times you'll be amazed they will hit it. I think these students are unbelievable. That's why I still, this is what I do with my life. Um, you'd be surprised if you said, let's go figure it out, how much they will do to go figure out the right answer. So this is a good one. And then Rick, would you tell us about that one? Yeah, this is by, it's called Faithfully Different. It's by Natasha Crane. She is The ladies are just blowing this apologetic stuff out of the water. I listen to more female apologists than I do. They're the this is faithfully different. As Christians, you may not know this, man, we are a minority in the world. But we're certainly a minority in our culture. And this book is about how we live faithfully to the gospel of Christ in the world that we're in today. Because we must learn to stand firm because opposition is there and it's not going to get easy. And so the whole doubt thing, I pulled it out of here. It's chapter six. I just ripped it right from the books. And so it's, I loved it. I just finished reading this book a couple of weeks ago. Man, this book is outstanding. Yeah, she's amazing. She's just amazing. So anything that you get on her, Alyssa Childers is another one. Uh, so we've got these four real quick, and then we'll take questions. Janie Bryant, Mandy Wallace, Elizabeth McGriff, and Melissa Jacks. First one's up, get to pick. Bookstore and swab it in. Wow. All right, we got four minutes. Rapid fire questions. What you got? And if you need to go pick up your kids, by all means, <laughs> go get your kids. Yes, ma'am. think the grace of God. I think we have a very small view of the grace of God. And I think we've got to help our students realize because we don't show a lot of our doubts and a lot of our shame. Um, and I think we've got to help them grasp what it looks like that we're not going to be perfect. Our students are growing up and they are expecting from their culture, from themselves, and from us as parents that they're supposed to be something that they feel like they can't be. And so that's a hard, that's why anxiety and depression is so high. So I think we've got to help them see the grace of God. One, look, God doesn't expect you to be perfect. God forgives you. It's okay. But we've got to bring that sin to light. The devil doesn't want that. And so what does that look like? Um, that would be my easy, quick answer for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, once again, it's why many of our students don't bring these questions to us and why we're trying to bring that out because they don't want to disappoint us. They don't want us to think that they don't believe. They don't want us to think that what we've been teaching them since they were three doesn't matter. And it, and, and it does. It's okay that you question that. And I think, please don't go home and I go, let's doubt all of the things that I've taught you. <laughs> Explain to me everything you believe. You know, that's not what I'm saying. I think what Rick and I are trying to bring is, is it's okay to have questions and work through them. 